Hi, this is Greg Kilstrom. Welcome to season three of the Agile World, where we discuss customer and employee experience, organizational and workforce transformation, and how business can adapt and continually improve in an Agile age. The Agile World podcast is brought to you by Tech Systems, an industry leader in full stack technology services, talent services, and real world application. For more information, go to techsystems.com. To read more about the topics discussed in this show, you can go to my website at theagile.world and read my latest articles or get a copy of my latest book, The Agile Workforce, now available on Amazon and other retailers. My name is Greg Kilstrom and I'm the host of the Agile World podcast. Today, we're going to talk about the citizen experience and how a more holistic view of data utilizing the Internet of Things or IoT can improve how the public sector is able to provide services and a better experience to individuals. To help me discuss this topic, I'd like to welcome Jerry Power, CEO of i3 Systems and co-founder of the i3 Consortium. Jerry, welcome to the show. Thanks, Greg. I'm delighted to be here. Great. Well, yeah, let's get started by uh, giving the audience a little background on who you are and, and what i3 Systems does. So why don't, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got into the space, who i3 Systems works with, and, and what you do? Sure. Well, the idea of i3 actually began as an academic research project um, at USC, um, University of Southern California. We were investigating sort of the inhibitors and accelerators of the data market. And what we did was we found that there were some key issues that were not being addressed that needed to be thought about um, for data to go mainstream. Things like in the area of data governance, privacy, security. These, and these are things that people are talking about now, but when we were doing the research, there was not much conversation. Um, what we did was something kind of interesting in that we documented our findings as a set of requirements. Here's what's needed to enable the market to take off and flourish. The um, city of Los Angeles heard about the work we were doing um, and sat down with us one day and they were in the midst of trying to strategically think about the way the city of Los Angeles should structure their data network to meet future data needs. Um, and they thought what we were doing was really interesting because it solved a couple of the holes that they had also identified sort of in parallel. What they did is they started giving us suggestions and ideas. Uh, think about this part of the problem this way. Think about this one that way. And, and the idea sort of began to mature and, and take shape. Um, at one point, um, talking with the city of Los Angeles, we came to the conclusion that this wasn't a city project anymore and it wasn't um, a research project anymore. But what we'd actually were working on was something that we thought the industry would need long term. Um, so we formed the I3 Consortium in order to bring in other voices to the conversation. Um, and we sort of continued to evolve the concept now with other people um, injected into the process. And some of them were co private companies, other cities, the, the county of Los Angeles, um, even some private citizens participated as we were working through the issues. Um, so it turned out to be real interesting. Um, at the end of, we put up a proof of concept and we published some software. Um, but at the end of the whole thing, we sort of realized that there needed to be an industrialized version of this software um, rather than sort of a, a hobbyist research version. Um, so I left USC at the time 
um, to start I3 systems. And that's really what we were set out to do was to take all these great ideas and turn them into something um, that could be made and used as a mission critical application. Well, so let's, let's talk about some of the opportunities that this more holistic approach to data can allow cities like Los Angeles and other public sector entities to provide to their constituents. Um, can you walk us through the challenges that your clients often face uh, with their IoT and, and data? So the way a lot of IoT systems are deployed today, you sort of start with the application and figure out here's the problem we're trying to solve. Um, and then you select some software that's going to help you solve that problem. Um, you deploy a bunch of IoT devices to make sure that there's data flowing into the application to let it do its magic. Um, but what ends up happening when you take that approach is you end up with effectively data silos because the data that is generated from the IoT devices flows to a single application that's usually owned by one department and it does that one function really well, um, but that's not um, an, a part of the infrastructure and the rest of the organization doesn't have access to the data, which, which is a, a, a real shame because part of the value that you get from IoT is being able to leverage data for lots of different applications. Um, so that was one of the problems that was being faced was how do we better leverage the data we're collecting um, the other part of it was that the city, a city the size of Los Angeles, it's a big city, um, and they wanted to make sure that as they were evolving to a smart city, that they were covering the whole of being at least able to cover the whole of their geography. I mean, they might evolve to it over time, but they didn't want to create um, zones that were uh, disenfranchised. Um, by having a tech area and a non-tech area, tech enabled, not enabled. Um, so what we did was we started thinking about how can we make the system so that it encourages private entities to participate in sort of helping to run the city by sharing their data with them. Um, and that was one of the things we wanted to do. And we also wanted to give the city control so that when the city shares their data with the external parties, they have better control over the data and how it's being used. Uh, you, you inferred some of this in, in uh, what you were just saying, but you know, generally what kind of experience does a disconnect in data give to citizens? So, you know, talked about your, your clients, the, the cities or the, the public sector, um, but now, the citizens are really the customers of the of of your clients. What kind of experience does that disconnect give um, that that these entities serve? So so let's talk. Maybe the best way to do that is through example and talking about a couple of the projects we're working on. Yeah. Um, one of them is we call smart parking. Um, and what we want to do is, if you think about Los Angeles, you could maybe drive a half an hour to get to an event venue. I mean, you could easily spend another hour, half hour looking for a parking place um, and then going to the event. Um, and that's really discouraging for people. So a lot of people really plan their their day around how do I find parking and where am I going? Do they have parking? As odd as that might sound. Um, what the city wants to do is sort of look at parking inventory in an area and be able to build a composite view of parking availability so that when people leave their home, they can plan their destination to go into a place that has adequate parking. 
um, a number of parking lots, uh, and there's lots of parking lots owned by different parking vendors. Some are city, some are not, some are private parking lots. There's just a whole range of parking options. Um, and some parking lots have tried to build in intelligence into their parking lot so they can tell a person, is there a probability of getting a parking spot in this one parking lot? But people don't want to go and browse and look at 10 different parking lots, websites right. before they plan their trip. So what um, the city wants to do is start taking data from all the parking lots, build, put it together so there's a composite view of parking in an area, and then let people pick from the parking options available to them so that they can go directly to a parking spot, park their car, go to the event. It means the people are happier because you didn't spend that half hour looking for a parking place. It also means that you get the cars off the road quicker which improves air pollution, reduces congestion, um, probability of accidents or things like that happening. So there's a whole lot of benefits that come to being able to get somebody quickly to where they want to go. Um, now, I3 does that, and part of it is because we're able to take data from different private institutions and put it together in a common format. And the city is actually working on an application that compiles this and presents it to the user in a way that's easy to digest and understand. So that's, that's an example of sort of using public and private data together to better serve the citizens. If you want a different example, and this is like really different, um, if you the uh, park, the sanitation trucks in the city of LA have between four and six video cameras on them. Um, and they're there primarily for safety monitoring to make sure that, you know, there's no accidents and there's records of if there were an accident, who's at fault and all that kind of stuff. Um, but the city understands and realizes they could deploy a application and have these cameras on the truck and you would have a really nifty Department of Sanitation smart solution. But the same video camera, the video off of them, you can actually feed that to the, the roads department and they can look at the same video and they can identify here's a pothole or a crack in the street and by because the trucks go over the same route every every week, they can actually measure how big the, the thing is getting. Um, this lets the city then do a couple of things. One is they can sort of forecast forward and say, here's when that road needs to be repaired. Um, and if you can do that and look at the neighborhood, instead of sending trucks out to make one repair, then they come back and reload and go to a different repair at a different part of the city. You can sort of start scheduling the, the repair crews so they go out and cover a neighborhood in one stop you know, hit several several places that need being repaired. And that saves a lot of cost for the city. The The other side of it is um, right now, citizens can use the My LA app and they can report potholes. But now if the city is actually monitoring and looking at potholes as they begin to develop and grow, it makes the city much more proactive instead of waiting on the citizens to trigger uh, a repair response. I, you know, I think you, you mentioned some of the the cost savings potential and stuff. But um, I mean, as you know, there's the best way to sell as cool as all of this stuff sounds, the best way to sell it sometimes is by, uh, you know, measurable outcomes and, and things. How do you how do you explain that? As far as, um, you know, is it is it cost savings? Is it efficiency? Is it all of the above? Like, what are the what are the measurable KPIs that 
um, that that your customers and, and potential customers are looking at and that, that you can improve? It's really focused on technology efficiency. Um, if you, in the case of the, the sanitation trucks, I mean, the sanitation truck, they would go ahead and deploy um, the cameras and make their, their, the process much safer. Um, but if then somebody else, the road crew, wanted to come out and measure potholes, historically they would have gone out and deployed a new set of technology to sort of watch potholes and see how they're developing and what's going on. Um, and they might even have manual crews that go out and, and cruise the streets looking for areas um, that have potholes. Um, because in that situation, the idea is that we want the road crews to be able to see the data that the sanitation department's collecting, you're actually getting more benefit from one application from the IoT devices on the sanitation trucks than you would if you have lots of different applications. So there's two levels of efficiency. One is that you reduce how much technology you have to deploy because you're reusing technology. If you think about the data as being part of the platform instead of a consumable for the application, that's a huge benefit. So you can look at the ability to leverage technology. Um, but then the other side of it too is because you've been able to sort of target your resources better, there's also a manpower and operating cost savings as well. It's, it's, it's not lost on me. I, I mean, I sometimes think about in the financial world, um, there's a measure of efficiency. You, you look at turns on an asset. So the more revenue you generate from a single asset, the more profitable the company is. And that's a financial world. That's a relatively standard metric. But there almost needs to be a metric like that in the technology world that says for an investment in technology, how do I maximize the benefit that comes from that technology? Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And I, I wonder if that's a is that a relatively new phenomenon in, in technology or do you think it's just this this kind of. Uh, what you're doing enables that a lot, a lot easier. Because I agree with you, it's that's that's a different way of looking at at efficiency than technology usually does, right? Yeah, it, it's it's not a, I'm going to say not a normal way of thinking. It's not a way that we've been brought up thinking. We've been brought up thinking, well, we'll just deploy technology, throw technology at a problem, and solve it, mm -hmm. rather than thinking about how do we maximize the the use of technology. There are some cities, municipalities that are actually kind of doing this, whether they're um, capturing that at a, a level of, of tech benefit versus technology as a ratio like you do with turns on inventory. Um, but you can see some, some areas actually have um, lower technology costs per capita than other places. And you can see in some places, some people have lower operating costs per, per the size of the city. Um, so they're, in some cases, they are informally kind of working towards that as a goal. But I think there's a lot to be said for turning that into more, much more of a formal process. One thing that always comes to mind whenever we're talking about data is privacy and, and security. And you you're you're in California, you know, which in the in the U.S. has um, the, the more stringent of the, the privacy regulations and stuff like that, as it is when you work with with these cities and other public groups, 
how do you ensure data security, privacy? What is the, you know, what's, what's the thought process um, there? I think about secure, and I, I'll define in my mind how I think about privacy and security. I think about security as really an effort to keep bad guys from getting things that you don't want them to get. Yeah. Um, and that's and that's something you just have to be constantly vigilant, vigilant about. You have to constantly monitor, upgrade. Um, but the other thing, it's not just a technology problem. A, a lot of security issues ha are due to human error or, or phishing or something like that where somebody clicked on a wrong button. So yeah. a lot of it is actually just training people to sort of be um, private, data privacy, pri data security aware um, so yeah. that everybody's yeah. really part of it. I mean, security is not something you can sort of say, oh, yeah, the IT department will take care of that. It really becomes um, an entire organization focus. Um, privacy is different in that privacy is is making sure you've got the data, you kept any bad guys from doing. How do you make sure the data is being used in ways that have been approved and accepted? Um, and you make sure that you're not doing something wrong with the data. Um, if somebody develops data and they, I mean, I think they have the right to give their data to whoever they want to. Um, but I think they also have the right to know how the data is going to be used, any terms and conditions, like how long is it going to be held for, all that kind of stuff around it. Um, and then based on net knowing that awareness, they can actually decide, do I really want to give that person my data or not? Um, and to do that, that requires a much greater level of transparency about data policy, about use cases, uh, about information that needs to be shared from the people who are seeking access to the data with the people who actually have or who are generating the data. Um, so what we try and do is we make sure that that's all on board, that before any data connections are established, we make sure there's a, a process that's gone through where somebody who wants the data discloses that information and then the other side can, from a, a an informed point of view can sort of say, yes, that's okay, or no, that's not okay, um, with the understanding that at any point in the future, either side could change their mind and say, I don't want that data anymore, or I don't want to give you that data anymore. Um, so those are all like really important aspects. From the conversations that you're having, is is this issue of individual privacy, how, how big is that um, as a roadblock, as far as some of the other, some of the other um, issues or concerns that that entities might have. In other words, are they, um, is it is it a difficult concept to understand the, that this data is being kept secure and all that, or you know how how big of a concern is that? I guess in the in the in the broader scheme of things, I, I think in general people kind of understand what has to be done. Um, I think the real hard, the hard part is implementing it, especially if you're trying to implement it in a system that hasn't thought about here's here's what we're going to do for privacy and here's how we're going to take care of it. So when you when you build and deploy a product and then go back and retrofit privacy into it, that's really painful. Um, whereas if you start from the beginning, it actually is not that difficult. Um, so it does require forethought, it requires planning. Um, and, I'll, and I'll add to that, that um, 
we we often talk about privacy like this is the requirement and this is what we're going to build to. I, I think you also have to take with that understanding that privacy requirements are going to change over time. So the whole system has to be adaptable. Um, yeah. And when I say change over time, um, a department might change, you know, their an aspect of their data policy. Um, so that might just be not that the laws have changed, um, although the laws do change, um, but the the policies of an organization change, partly because I think the organization is trying to build um, a trusted relationship with the people that they have, that they depend on for their data. Um, trust becomes an important aspect to it, and you have to think through that whole equation and how that's going to evolve over time. And that's, that's really where the hard part gets. What about data governance? I mean, you touched on this a little bit before, but, you know, government um, is often uh, known to be full of bureaucracy, silos, and, and all, all of that good stuff. So how you know, how is, how is what you're, how can they think about this, what you're doing in, in a way to, to help with data governance? So, so I think data governance is an important part of it. Um, but you have to think about data governance as sort of layers. Um, yeah. it, and, and one of the things that we spent a lot of time thinking about is that um, if you think about a, cit a citizen or a, a local business, they might want to give um, some of their data to the fire department because they trust the fire department. Um, but they might not be trusting the, the police department or maybe, I don't know, the uh, whoever collects the taxes, and they might not want to give the data to them. So what you have to do is be able to tell people that if you give us your data, here's what we're, who's going to see it, who's got access to it, how they're going to use it. And you can't sort of paint with a broad brush and say the city across the board is all the same. So what you decide um, because of your dislike of, I don't know, again, I'll say just the police department or whoever, because of the dislike of this one department, you don't want them to not participate with the other departments that they are, may actually be inclined to support. Um, so you've got to drive things down to a layer where the departmental visibility is actually there. Yeah. Well, uh, one last question before we wrap up, uh, we've, we've spent the, the show here talking about the public sector and which certainly sounds, there's a, there's a ton of need there and there's a ton of opportunity there to, to improve that. What other areas or industries are on your mind as far as needing this type of solution? And where do you think the biggest need is right now? Um, I, and I think government sort of, it resonates well because when we start talking about data communities, um, that's something that people in government immediately understand. Um, in private industry, they're evolving in that direction. Um, but, but the idea that you, you have to work as part of a community um, is one thing. And you say, well, all right, well, we build partnerships, we do this, we do that in private industry. But those pri partnerships are communities in a way. So if you think about, about um, how do I build a infrastructure where my partners can change, exchange data, knowing what the other person's going to do with the data, knowing that the partnerships are going to change over time, I think there's a huge area of opportunity for this same technology to be deploy, applied in private business. 
Um, so that it's there for sure. Um, I think some of the privacy laws that are starting to happen um, are actually forcing different privacy security practices in different countries. So I think multinationals have to start thinking about how do we pass data between countries and how do we make sure we know where the data is going between the two countries so that when one country says you're violating my law, you have the records. You can say, no, here's what we did. Here's why we're doing it. Here's what's going on. Um, so that has to happen as well. Um, another place that I think about, I think about healthcare. Certainly, COVID um, is on the top of everybody's mind at present. Um, and part of the, the early missteps with COVID was because people were looking at different data. Nobody could agree what the right data was. There wasn't really cooperation at a data level that needed to be there. Yeah. Um, if, if the data were easy to flow between organizations, and I say easy, not just that it flows freely, but it flows in a managed way. Um, I think we might have shortcut some of those those early missteps that happen. Um, I also tend to think about um, healthcare issues as being a community issue, whereas when you talk to most technologists, they'll talk about, well, how do I help this hospital, or how do I help the the, the doctor-patient relationship? And they don't tend to think about it as a holistic community endeavor. Few people do. Um, but I think as we start evolving to thinking about problems like healthcare as being community issues where everybody in the community is generating data, you start seeing need for stuff like this. One, one of the, the groups we're working with, it's the um, Hollywood Business Improvement District. Um, and if you, if you go to Hollywood, there's a bunch of um, stores up and down the street. Um, they're individual stores. They all have some level of technology deployed in the stores, but they basically can only see the data that they collect within the building. And what the Business Improvement District is trying to do is move to a place where they can start taking the data from all these individual store owners um, pull it together and build sort of a neighborhood perspective that lets them sort of think about neighborhood advertising in real time, um, which, which is quite a big change from where we're at today. Um, but I think there's even um, application in that scenario as well. Yeah, actually, could you talk a little bit more about that? Because I, I, I think that's, that's a really interesting concept. Yeah, so, so right now, if, if people are collecting data inside their store, I mean, you, you can tell, all right, um, these, this, this is the person. I, I, I have four frequent shoppers who just walked into my store. They've self-identified themselves to their mobile device and because they signed up to my program. Um, and that's great. Now they're in the store. You know who they are. You can be extra nice to them, I guess, or offer them special deals. But if you had visibility as to the people who were in the area, you might know that these people, your, your preferred customers, are a block away and heading towards you. Um, and, and because of that, maybe you sort of automatically change some of the, the signage in the window so those people know, hey, I got a special on just for you. Come on in um, and you can see it. Um, we can talk about things like um, creating um, pop-up experiences maybe in the parking lot and how do we do that and that's of course all data driven um, those are things that attract people into the area um, so there's a lot of kinds of technology that can be used if you have a bigger perspective rather than just being limited to the data that you can see that came through your door 
Well, um, Jerry, thanks so much for joining the show. Uh, for those listening, what's the best way for them to keep up with what you're doing? Um, well, you certainly, if, if you're just kind of interested in dipping, um, you can certainly go to our website. It's i3-iot.com. Um, and that's there. Um, but if you want to sort of be sort of ongoing, we do put out a newsletter. It, it's not a marketing focused newsletter, so we're not trying to sell things. Um, but really, the newsletter is about, about just trying to get people to stop and think about technology perhaps differently than they would in their day to day process. And we think by getting people to sort of pause and rethink their problems from a different perspective, that spurs innovation. And the more innovation, that of course needs data, and that sort of indirectly sort of creates you know demand for the kinds of things that we're doing. Um, and if you're interested in the newsletter, just send me an email. Um, it's jerry, J-E-R-R-Y dot power, P-O-W-E-R at i3-iot.com. Well, again, I'd like to thank Jerry Power, CEO of i3 Systems and co-founder of the i3 Consortium for joining the show. Thanks for listening to the Agile World with Greg Kilstrom. See you next week. Thanks again for listening to the Agile World podcast brought to you by Tech Systems. I'm your host, Greg Kilstrom. If you enjoyed the show, please take a minute to subscribe on your podcast channel of choice and leave us a rating so that others can find the show more easily. You can learn more and get a copy of my latest book, The Agile Workforce, from my website at theagile.world.